Hi, I'm Ray from Insert Quest here. My pronouns are they, she, and today I'm talking to Tracy, a game designer and Kickstarter consultant. Uh, over on Twitter, Tracy often shares insights around how to promote your work, and today we're going to be talking about their new Kickstarter for Iron Edda Reforged. Tracy, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Would you mind further introducing yourself for our audience? Of course, I would not mind. My name is Tracy Barnett. I am a queer non-binary game designer. Uh, pronouns are they and them. I am coming up on a decade of doing professional game design, and I love to talk about all aspects of it. So I'm really thrilled to be here. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, so obviously, we're going to be talking about your Kickstarter in a minute, but I wanted to start off as we customarily do here by asking how you first became interested in making games and what your first forays into that were for myself i messed around with like uh new world of darkness fighting style merits and then ran an actual play podcast for ages and then was like i'm gonna make an eclipse phase intro scenario that's better than the original because the original is too long <laughs> uh, so what was your <laughs> journey like there yeah, so I never, ever thought that I was going to become a game designer. Um, when I when I first was really getting into RPGs in my in my late twenties, um, and I played in campaigns through my early twenties and so on and so forth. But in two thousand nine or ten, uh, I started listening to some of the first actual play podcasts and found out that other systems besides Dungeons and Dragons existed. And as I explored, I started going to conventions and meeting people, and I was messing around with a lot of campaign setting stuff, but still using, uh, I think, D&D and Pathfinder and, and Savage Worlds as like my, my sort of base of operations. I wasn't really doing any, any system stuff. And then uh, I was driving back from having visited friends on a long road trip. Uh, it was a 12-hour drive each direction. Uh, and I, I was doing it oh, by yeah. myself. Yeah. And on on the way back, I started rhyming words because um, there was a joke on Twitter about me being tall and long and lanky. And so like a D&D &D skill, I had ranks and lank. And I started rhyming it with ranks and tank and ranks and stank and ranks and bank. And before I knew it, I had all of these rhymes and I was in the middle of a... Uh, master's of education program at the time to be a high school English teacher. And I realized I was describing high school students. Like every one of those ranks was like, oh, it's that kid in school. And by the time I got home, I had made a really straightforward system for what became my first game, which I kickstarted and published called School Days. Um, I, I didn't like tinker around with much stuff. I did a little bit of like D&D &D prestige class work, but not a lot. And I, I literally just wrote my first game and then put a team of people together and ran a Kickstarter. And I just haven't stopped. Yeah, that's, that's jumping in legs first, for sure. That's how I tend to go about things. Mm, yeah, yeah, I feel that. I was kind of like that with... Uh, <laughs> with poetry uh a few years ago it's like yeah i'm gonna make a poetry board game and then i'm gonna write a poetry book it's like oh okay <laughs> mm -hmm. uh uh yeah that's yeah well so obviously even from the very beginning you were very 
involved with uh, with Kickstarter. Like you went straight to mm-hmm. it. Oh, obviously, that's not it's not that unusual to be like, oh, I'm just going to go straight to Kickstarter. But it is interesting that you hadn't done really anything before. Often lots of people like build up a lot of, um, what is the word I'm looking for? Almost like a portfolio of mm-hmm. like small free or low cost things um, or supplements for stuff. Uh, so it's interesting that you sort of were like, I've written this game. Well, to Kickstarter we go. Um, yeah. And it which was, I think it was also cool. a very, Thank you. Uh, it was it was a very different time too because mm. this was 2012, right? Kickstarter was two years old, maybe at the time. I think so. It was a relatively recent phenomena, and I had like a lot of sort of lucky things happened all at the same time. I'd been on Twitter for a few years, and I had been uh, a blogger um, writing for a website called Troll in the Corner, and so I had articles that I was publishing about games. I was going to conventions and meeting designers and whatnot. And I was meeting a lot of people sort of in the industry. And I realized I was making connections with people who knew how to do things and who had experience doing things in ways that I obviously did not. And as I sort of, as just as I approached the entire thing, I looked at how you publish a game, right? Like how does one do this game publishing thing? And it seemed that making a full on game, like um, this was before Lyric games were like a categorically a thing. It's before there were a lot of micro games around. And so in my mind to make a game, you had to make a proper book um, with text that has been edited. You had to have an artist to do all of the, visuals you had to have someone to do layout and i at the time didn't do those things Mm -hmm. so it just it it was like a logical set of steps in my mind it was like well no to make a game this is what you do and since then i'm i mean iron Nettery reforged is going to be my 12th kickstarter i think and i view kickstarter totally differently now i view games totally differently now and i mean for my second kickstarter one shot Games that I make now that I write and publish all of myself and do the layout and everything, like one shot was that same style of game. But in, you know, late 2012, when I wrote it, there's no way I could have done that work by mm-hmm. myself. So it's, it's really interesting how the, the landscape of game design has changed and how uh, expectations of what a game is and what mm-hmm. you can do with them are all different. It, it's it's amazing, and I'm really glad that I have found a model. I found a niche that works for me. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting it's you great. say about how things have changed, because obviously we've seen expectations shifting, which you talked about, but we've also seen tools become more available, um, mm-hmm. but also uh not just new tools becoming available so like you've got things like canva but also uh there are other that like that's where i produce most of my layout stuff and sometimes mm, I, make I, lo- entire, I love canva sometimes i make entire games in canva like i'll jot down my ideas in google docs and then i'll be like and boom especially if it's going to be like a limited design product so like i was trying to make something <laughs> that fit in a brochure i'm like well i don't want to write all of this in google docs because it's not going to f- I'm going to get the proportions of like space wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and so you know jumping into canva but you also have other products uh, available as well there are other like uh layout uh things that are people people are using but also we see more <clears throat> more uh game designers and stuff pulling on older knowledge essentially and tapping into uh to production methods from zine making and obviously mm -hmm. zine up format rpgs are a big thing at the moment enough to be have a whole kickstarter festival essentially uh focused around them um and so you see that interdisciplinary gathering of older older skills being brought in as almost new from the perspective of rpg industry yeah or at least um they are more a resurgence yeah than, yeah, yeah. yeah than, than they used to be because the methods of production have democratized is the wrong word but people do have a lot more access to things than they used to and so if you become good at making small games or concise games uh what have you putting it into a zine if you i mean zines are simple by nature right you know the the original ones were like you literally would cut out things from a magazine or art and you would photocopy it and that's how you made that's how you made the thing and so the standards for production are just different if you say zine and it doesn't have to be nearly as long um the, all the expectations are just shifted and zines are actually like part of the heart of my sort of ongoing business model that i am operating right now so i can make games as a sustainable part of like my career yeah, I think that sus that sustainability and like obviously what we're talking about there is not uh I f I mean I'm kind of inferring but we're sort of talking about the fact that um a lot of game making in the past was not seen as financially like viable, right? Like people would mm -hmm. go bankrupt making a really cool game um or they would have a whole other um profession that they use to support making games whereas now mm -hmm. it's not you don't just have to be part of a big studio a big quote-unquote studio uh to to make games you don't have to work for like wizards of the coast or uh paizo or whatever you can be financially successful on your own similar to what you're doing yeah and and that's not to say that i don't have you know, freelance work that helps keep the ship mm. afloat, right? I I have a, a an ongoing contract as a project manager and podcast editor with the One Shot Network, and that gives me a base of income upon which I can stand. Um, but the whole setup that I'm looking at doing is basically a zine a quarter on Kickstarter, and they are deliberately run at a profit, right? I I'm making sure that I make money for the time and effort that I've put into the, into the design. And if it super funds or overfunds even, then yes, I am trying to give value back to the backers or to the team uh, that I'm working with. In the case of Ironnet of Reforged, like the stretch goals are money for me and money for them. That's it. There's nothing mm -hmm. beyond that. I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to, to take the time and add, you know, that much more work to myself um, I actually really respect that when I see that on a Kickstarter because I often get nervous when I see people being like, oh, we're going to have custom dice or we're going to add a whole new supplement. I'm like, please don't. I really don't yeah. want you to, one, go bankrupt, 
and two, failed to deliver on this Kickstarter because you got bound up in these other things. I think yeah, like, ex exactly. Yeah. I, I I don't unless it's something that you wanted to do anyway. Uh, if I'm planning my own Kickstarter or if I'm helping someone else plan theirs, I'd never advocate for someone adding extra work as a stretch goal because I've seen too many projects get tanked by it. I've run into it uh, as an issue in my own projects, and I I know better than that now. Plus this has to be something that is sustainable for me, right? It can't be a cycle where I'm going to get burned out on what I'm doing because it's not like I'm in my early twenties and just out of college and living with five other people, which is what I did when I was in my early twenties and just out of college. I'm 40 years old. I'll be 41 in like a month and a half. I'm married we have a three-month-old baby. I was going to say, bought, you just bought a house, just had a like, child, right? Yeah. All of this. Which, congratulations. Thank you very much. Um, And that that's not, I, I don't want to be like the old person who's like, oh, you have to blah, blah, blah. It's, it's this because of all these respon responsibilities, right? You know, it's These are things I care about, right? Yes, mm -hmm. they are responsibilities, but I chose all of this right? Like I'm here because I want to be here and I want to make games and be working in games as my full-time career. And I'm able to do that right now. It's a, a weird alchemy of that freelance work I mentioned. Plus I take other freelance jobs too, of, you know, my Kickstarter model of making a zine at a profit and then funneling people to my Patreon wherever possible. Like, it's a whole cycle of stuff that lets me make the kinds of games that I want to make when I want to make them and do so in a way that can make a sustainable life for me and my family. Like it's, it's literally living the dream, but there's a special set of circumstances because my, my partner works too. She has a really good job that brings in a decent amount of money and there's no way we could do that. If, you know, if we were both trying to do this, that we'd we'd be falling on our asses like yeah yeah no definitely and so i think that those are, are like really good points to touch on and good things to 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 mention um obviously you've taken your your skill set here and applied it to ionetta reforged mm -hmm. um which uh so Ionet is like a name that I have seen around for a really long time and I've seen it go through like a bunch of different iterations. Mm -hmm. Would you mind first off sharing what Ionetta Reforged is, how what it is within this lineage of Ionetta, and then maybe we can talk a bit more about what the other Ionetters have been. Sure. So Ionetta Reforged is a cyberpunk Norse themed game where Ragnarok is happening. And it is you, you and your community, you and the people around you are banding together and rising up to, uh, to take down the gods, right? Ragnarok in Norse myth uh, is an inevitability. We know it's going to happen. We know that all the gods except for one are going to be toast and that there's only going to be two people left over, two people and a god left over at the end. So this Ragnarok is you overthrowing a brutal capitalist like again cyberpunk ultra city kind of thing and having a lot of fun doing it so 
the the core of what makes an iron eta game an iron eta game is present in this the first part is that there have to or ragnarok has to be happening right that's the that's one of the the core conceits to to be an iron eta game then humanity has to have responded to ragnarok by in some form or fashion taking people who volunteer to do so and bonding their spirits to the bones of dead giants uh so they have to be bone bonded in the in the game and it operate them like mecha and it's all really cool and uh and, and epic in terms of scope and then uh all the characters everyone belongs to one of nine warrior clans and that's just to give sort of a consistent flavor uh to the setting so that's Ironetta Reforged. Uh, the Kickstarter itself is not just the zine of the game, but it's also an actual play podcast of the playtesting process for the entire thing, as well as uh, a video actual play that uh, both of which will be part of the One Shot Network when uh, the time comes for those to air. So that's yeah, that's, that's Reforged, sort of in a so nutshell. Much. There's so much going on there. I When I saw the Kickstarter preview, because obviously while as of publishing this recording the kickstarter is live but uh, uh it's not live yet we have we have we have a little less than a week oh yeah 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 sorry as of recording the the yeah. the 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 um the yeah we've got about a week till the kickstarter goes um and uh when i was looking at the kickstarter preview which is obviously very limited in what it uh, shows uh, I was reading the tagline for it I'm like oh it's a zine oh it's an actual play oh it's also a video thing going well uh, mm-hmm. wow there's there was a lot and so I had difficulty trying to work out how to sum it up in the uh, in the intro so obviously I just sort of skipped it I just sort of said your, your name and uh, yeah but that, that that's fine it took me like so when when I'm planning a Kickstarter helping someone doing my own whatever I generally chart out about 30 days ahead of launch is is your marketing window, right? That's when mm-hmm. you really want to be priming people for the act of funding your game and so on and so forth. It took me so long, so much of that 30 days and even the weeks leading up to it to try and figure out how to talk about the game, like how to pitch the whole thing. Um so yeah, it, it's it it's not as concise as some of my other projects. Like you were the dungeon that I did back in in late May. That was easy, Con- concision, pitch, really great. Uh, Iron Edge Reforce has taken a little bit more work. Yeah, I mean, it probably I would imagine helps that you've sort of built a little bit of brand recognition for Iron Edda as a thing. Like when I read mm-hmm. the word Iron Edda or words, I suppose I know. Oh, this is going to be some. Ragnarok thing with with bones. Um, it good. <laughs> that then that means that it's worked <laughs> because yeah. uh, the original Ironetta game kickstarted in uh, 2013, and actually there was a novel before that. Um, so there have been three Ironetta games: two written by me and one written by Paul Stefko. Uh, all of which were the results of successful kickstarters. Um, mine and Paul's game came from the first Kickstarter because he was a stretch goal. And then uh, Encoded Designs worked with me to publish Iron Ed Accelerated uh, a few years back. So um, I, the first one, War of Metal and Bone, is uh, based in Fate Core. Um, mm-hmm. I originally came up with the concept because I was a stretch goal on someone else's Kickstarter, and then that fell through. So I took the, the bare bones, huh, if you will, version <laughs> of the game and and fleshed it out to be a full a full game 
And then with Iron Edit Accelerated, I took the same concepts, but passed them through the lens of Fade Accelerated as it's seen in the more recent Dresden Files release. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that book is all rules inclusive, right? It, the whole everything you need to play is in the one in the one book. For the first one, uh, the the conventional wisdom at the time was it takes a lot of pages to contain all the rules. So when you have a core rule book available, like Fate Core and the original Fate Accelerated, you just tell people to use it. that too. Yeah, yeah. Just just say, look, the core rules are in this. Here's how it's different. Um, and so, you know, there are pluses and minuses to, to both ways of thinking. Uh, I'm glad that I'm glad that I got the, I'm glad that I have both versions out because while they are ostensibly the same setting and the same tone and the same elements mechanically and narratively, they pull different things out of what's happening. Uh, and mm-hmm. I think that's really, it's really a lot of fun. And plus doing, um, multiple versions of the game, uh, over the years has helped kind of let it permeate into indie game consciousness. Like you said, you've at least thematically, when I say iron Edda, you kind of know what's coming. So good. That means that I, I can then riff on it and change the context of those elements. And it still has a chance to be really impactful, which I think reforged is, is doing exactly that. Yeah. Uh, I'm very, very, uh, uh, excited to see how it goes. Um, what has it taken to plan for something like this? Because it's not just you're putting out a new version of Ionetta. It's you're mm-hmm. putting out a new version of Ionetta that has a podcast attached to it. And there's also a video like aspect to that podcast. Now that actual play. Um, and I imagine sort of, synchronizing those things together takes some work it it does um i am the beneficiary of both the years of experience that i have doing this kind of work and the um here's that silence thing that needs to come in i am trying to remember what i was going to say and it's completely gone for me um oh there we go and the beneficiary of the fact that i get to be at home and not have my brain taken up by someone else's job Mm -hmm. all day. Right. That's huge. It's huge. There's no way that I would be able to do this sustainably if I were someplace else 40 hours a week. And you might say, well, you're taking care of a baby. Yes, I am. But she is three months old right now. Her needs are very straightforward, (laughs) right? (laughs) There are, there are a few things that she needs it's like clothing and sleep and formula and playtime and love. Like that's, yeah. give, that's, and that's a matter can, of course. You can think about a lot of stuff while doing those things mm-hmm. as well. It, exactly. And, and, and often time to- like making something uh, like yeah. this is a lot of just thinking about stuff mm-hmm. um, and very comparatively very little actually writing things down in my yeah, experience yeah, for, for sure and because i had jobs before and especially worked retail a lot i got used to writing in short bursts on my phone right or when i could so when i when it comes time to write or when i have the mental space even if i'm holding on to her while she's sleeping i can have my phone up and google docs going 
and I can be working on something, you know, really whenever. And that's a, that's a huge, huge benefit. Um, that's why I mentioned the experience because I got really good at publishing small games. I got really good at knowing what I wanted out of a game, right? Like when I wrote School Days, the idea of how to structure a book took a lot of work to figure out because I'd never done it before. I'd never like looked at the game books that I used and thought about how to organize information and what parts do I want presented first and, and next. And now I've internalized that stuff so deeply that not only can I do it, I can mess around with it if I want to, right? I can, I can play around with it and do it in different ways than I, I otherwise would have. Mm-hmm. So I've got a lot going for me. And then if you couple that with the fact that personality wise, I'm basically built for Kickstarter. Like I, I love the attention. I love talking about the things that I do. Like I, I am suited to do this kind of thing. So this, this current moment of what games can be is just right up my alley. It's, it's ideal. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about that aspect before because I'm like, I also really like talking about what I do, but still, Kickstarter sounds terrifying to me. Um, <laughs> uh, it, it definitely, it, it definitely can be because there's the when I help someone with their first Kickstarter, especially one of my primary jobs in that capacity isn't helping them uh, look at the copy on the page and make sure it's good or plan out rewards. It's emotional support mm. <laughs> because uh, running a Kickstarter messes with your feelings of validation a lot. Like even though I'm seasoned at this, right? I've, I'm 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 an old hand at Kickstarter. I still hit launch, and I'm like, okay, what if nobody backs this? Um, or what if it takes forever to fund? Or what if it doesn't fund? What if I have? What if I've messed all this up? And I know that I haven't, right? Like I, I know that the things that I'm doing, I'm doing them because I like them as as things, but I'm also doing them because I have a reasonable certainty of their success given past results. So that's good. But even with all of that, it still is just it it messes with your emotions because mm-hmm. you're you're really putting yourself out there and you're saying hey, I want you people to take the dollars that you have earned in this nightmare hellscape within which we all exist. And I want you to give them to me on the promise that I'm going to make something cool. Right. And that's, yeah. that's you're, you're, you're really, I mean, it, it can feel like you're hanging yourself out there on a line and hoping that you can pull it off and that you can do what you said that you're going to do. So it takes... It takes some uh, some centering, some calming, some fortitude to sort of just ride through that and not let it literally make or ruin your day from moment to moment. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, I definitely uh, feel that with, with projects, especially when it's like something... So I make a lot of small uh, games that are, mm-hmm. you know, one or two pages at the moment. Um, and only because I have been working on larger things for ages, because I'm like, they're just going to take more time when you have ADHD. Um, mm-hmm. And so 
thinking about the the investment aspect in like emotional investment attached to those larger projects and what it means if they do well or don't do well which is the <laughs> thing you think about more is is uh is stressful you know and it's yeah. it's worrying to be like oh what if i what if i launch this thing that's like a hundred pages and no one cares mm-hmm. yeah it's it's its own thing and it like i said i've been doing this for a while and for the early part of my career actually even up through the mid part of my career i mainly functioned and was able to do this just because i didn't stop right mm. like i i just kept doing the thing that i was going to do because either i wanted to or i didn't see that i had any other choice but to do so and i've gotten to the point now where fortunately i feel like i have my feet under me a lot more like i feel i feel like i know the parameters of things uh, with the early projects a lot of it was just sort of like looking at best practices and looking at how people were doing things and doing my best to emulate that and just hoping beyond hope that I was choosing the right things to emulate and choosing mm. the right ways to go about doing things. Now I have like, I've gone from, you know, 55% sure on those things to on some portions of it, a solid 95. Um, especially if it's a, a, a single zine project, like you or the dungeon, where it's literally just me and then the one artist that I'm working with for the stretch goal, that was simple by comparison. And it did really, really well. Combination of me and the game and timing, It uh, the goal was $3,000 and it raised $39,000 and change. Jesus uh-huh. Christ. Yeah. And that's, a big, that's more big, than I paid for this car. Yes. Uh, now, big chunks of that were going to the production of the tarot deck that was was the stretch goal. Oh, I know I, I mean, said yeah, don't tarot, do it. D- d- tarot deck yeah. would cost so much. I, w- I want to do a tarot deck of uh, of uh, mechs for uh, enemies mm-hmm. for a mech game in the future. Um, where like, it, yeah, anyway, that that's enough about that to understand the premise. Uh, but yeah, yeah. A tarot deck is, it's so much more work. Because the suits, there's more cards in a suit, and then you also have the the art for the the uh, major arcana. Yep. Yeah. It, it's it's a lot, and so a lot of the money, you know, or good chunks of that money went to went to that process. But it was still it's it's me that had to write the game and get it out there, which I've done. The game was finished when I kickstarted it. That's if I can do that, I try to, mm-hmm. because that makes it things so much easier. I had no one else to coordinate with for editing or anything because it was a really, really straightforward game. Like it didn't need any eyes, but mine, I think it was 2000 words total. And a lot of that is lists of things. Yeah. Like the actual procedural stuff is really, really easy. And then working with the artist to get the art and then trusting the company that I'm working with to make the decks to print them when the time comes. Like the moving parts are very, very minimal by comparison. Mm-hmm. Um, so like for Ironetta Reforged, I was doing the podcast portion already. Um, I had contacted uh, my friends, uh, B, Alex and Jeff 
to ask if they wanted to do a podcast for with me uh, of the playtesting of Ironetta Reforged. And before I even knew when the Kickstarter was going to be or if it was going to be a full book or just a zine or anything. So that process was already going. Like we have done three sessions so far, uh, all recorded. So then I just had to reach out to an editor to get that work done because I knew that I didn't have the time or the bandwidth to sit down and edit another podcast since that's Mm -hmm. part of my job for one shot. And then for the video actual play, that is logistically going to be more complicated, but I have done a decent amount of streaming. We are not going to be doing it live. We're going to be um, on a call together that I will record using an overlay in OBS, just like I would if I were streaming. And then the videos, the VODs are going to air later on OneShot's YouTube and Twitch channels. Um, that's partially to keep the logistics much more simple uh, because it's easier for me to do a recording that I can potentially cut a chunk out if I need to go away from the camera because maybe. Yep. Um, but also with the current environment on Twitch, Twitch. with yeah. the hate raids and everything that's happening, my deliberately, my cast are all people of color. Like I wanted to to do my do what I could to elevate those voices. And so I want to do everything I can to protect them from harassment. So we're not going to be live. That means that when it airs, I or other people can sit in the moderation seat and can make sure that uh you know things the are chat going isn't devolving into exactly things things are staying pit. where yeah things are staying where they need to stay. So um, that is a logistical hurdle that is going to be a little bit more challenging, but there are only six episodes uh, of it because that is going to be the the basic arc of taking down a god you can do in six episodes or six sessions. Um, mm-hmm. They're going to be two hours each, and they're going to air in two-hour blocks. So I only have to schedule this six times, and because I'm the one doing the narration of the game, that's sort of the, the GM role in Ironetta Reforged, I don't have to go and try and find someone else to teach the game to mm, yeah. or have the text complete for this stream, for these streams or these recordings. So what is a logistical addition on one side saves me a lot of time on the other because I'm not going to be rushing to get the game word complete so someone else can use it in time for these these recordings. Uh, that's a huge, huge weight off of... Uh, off my shoulders. Yeah, I definitely feel that. I, uh, yeah, it's interesting talking about the teaching other people to play thing uh, because it's uh, the more the more complex a game is in terms of like having interconnected systems that uh, that uh, react to one another, the more. Or, or interact with one another is a better way of saying that. <laughs> the, the more difficult I find it to try and write the, the, the text in a way that will actually be usable to other people. Like, really, if a yeah. game has, like, one mechanic, it's, like, super easy to be like, yeah, this is here. This is how you run it. But if you're writing something like a forged, uh, not forged, um, fate-derived game or, uh, or, like, Powered by the Apocalypse then it's like there's so much more because there's so many different ways things interconnect. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the the idea of running a game for someone when you're the one that wrote it, 
that's fine. I can do that on a podcast. I can do that on, yeah. on a video stream, but taking what's in my head and putting the procedures on paper, especially for this game, because Iron Eater Reforged is a little bit different. Mechanically, it's not terribly complex. There, there are, there's not much that makes up a character. Characters can mm-hmm. be made really, really quickly. And that is so, if you are in, say you're in a scene, you and your, your three fellow players, when the narrator, or if you decide to play GMlessly, because this game is a whisper away from being GMless anyway, if you decide that there's a new NPC that you are that you're going to meet, then when that happens, the the players make up the details about that about that NPC. They're made mm. the same way that a character you would play would be, and the reason okay. for that is that when you finish a given scene. If you just met a really cool NPC and there's a really cool plot hook and you're wondering really what's going on with that person, you can switch over and just play that person. Nice, nice. That's cool. And and you can set up a scene with that with that character and an end goal for the scene so everyone knows what they're playing toward. Make new NPCs that they're going to talk with. So they'll be they'll have their clandestine meeting over here and you get to see what that meeting is like, just like if you were watching a TV show or a movie and the story switches character perspectives right yeah that's a really interesting way of dealing with that actually because that's something that i have um when i'm when i make larger games that's something that i really want to like lean into because i like Mm -hmm. played a lot of um pathfinder originally and that is and then world of darkness and like you don't you don't have scenes like you would in movies and stuff in those games where mm-hmm. you, as the audience, see what is uh, going on and setting up things. And so you don't have that dramatic irony and things like that. Um, whereas when <laughs> you are playing as if you are the character and so you only see the things your character can see which is fine but i'm mm-hmm. really prefer games that are like we the players are the audience of mm-hmm. uh, of this and we're also controlling a couple of the characters or whatever and i really i find games more enjoyable when when you can be like and so it, pointing out things like you don't your characters don't see this but we the audience do like we mm-hmm. the audience know that uh that our our loyal mentor is is uh spreading an evil smirk across their face as we walk off to uh some mission that they said would be fine mhm yeah and 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 ironetta reforged takes it one step further in that you can then go and play a scene where one of you takes over the evil mentor and you get to actually decide what those machinations are because yeah, cool. with with reforge the point is that your community is banding together to take down the gods right mm. so i really wanted you to be able to have a window into who was in that community and what they were actually about and by letting you play them and decide on their motivations, letting the narrative sort of flow into that and seeing where it goes. Like that is really, that's huge for, for that kind of storytelling and, and, and make no mistake. This game is a game that views role-playing games as storytelling. 
Mm. Um, not all games do, and that's fine. There's a, there's a lot of room for different stuff, but Ironetta Reforged is about the narrative of what you're yeah. doing while you play. It's about telling a story. It's interesting yes. how you're kind of tapping into, you're kind of solving a similar problem to what um, a specific aspect of uh, belonging outside belonging games um, solve, mm. but you're solving it in a different I way. I love them. And that's how the belonging outside belonging games have the thing where you, many of them, but not all, have the thing where you're controlling your character, but you're also controlling an aspect of the setting. So to use mm -hmm. uh, an example, you might be playing the handsome uh, space pirate, but you also will, might be controlling the evil space empire as a faction and so like when something comes up relating to the evil space empire we you as the person that is also controlling that like sort of guide what is happening with that you're sort of doing a similar thing a different way mm -hmm. yeah it, um belonging outside belonging games i really really like like sleep away is is really close to my heart i just really like pretty much everything about that game and it's influencing a lot of my a lot of my design tendencies going forward um, because I really like shared narrative control, but I don't like shared narrative control in that someone just goes, "Okay, cool, you've got shared narrative control. Have fun with it." Like, no, you you need to have. You want some guidance? Yeah, it's it's the education background in me. There's a there's a school of thought of of teaching uh, called scaffolding, right? Where the teacher uh, is with you as a learner and is giving you information and is building you up and then lets you on your own for a little bit to just go and do and and explore until you run into a block again and then they're back to build you up once more right and that's that's sort of the mindset that I have I'm not going to be there to come back for players obviously because I'm not sitting at your table but the book or the book and the podcast and the video actual play series that you have maybe listened to or watched are going to tell you what you need to know to get to the point where you can tell these stories on your own. And that is the space where emergent gameplay happens, right? You mm -hmm. feel confident enough as a player, confident enough as a group where you are going to follow the rules that I've given you, but I have left room for you to make your own decisions and to experience things in a way that makes sense to you, which may be very different than how I would play it, but that's fine. I'm not at yeah. your table. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I I was talking about a setting element um, for an upcoming project recently with a friend who isn't really working on the project, but got them to look at it. And they like suggested a use for a plot hook um, that I'd put in the book that I had never even considered. I'm like, yeah, you could mm -hmm. you could frame the bad guys as having been uh, one of the escapees from the from the laboratory. And I'm like, how the fuck would you convince someone that that was true in the setting? But also, I'm so excited to see someone try. And it was just like exactly. a, a solution to a problem that I had never even, would never even consider trying. Um, but it didn't really matter to them. They were just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Frame them. Frame them as being 
made one of the lab experiments. And I'm like, how? They're older than the lab. Uh, and then we and then we walked through a bunch of ways you could try and do that. Um, uh, and so that was that was an interesting way to explore uh, the game the game design. Um, yeah, I, I like to I'm I'm of the firm belief that the game the experience of the game is is the true game, right? Mm, so okay, interesting. Wh- what what I write in a book depending on how it's written, like if it's a lyric game, then yeah, you're experiencing it while you're reading, thus you're playing. And therefore it's, that's the game, right? Cause it's experiential. So you can, you can engage with a game by, by just reading the text and that's fine. But when you play your mind, the minds of the other people there are engaging with the content that I have as the writer put in front of you. And the game exists in the space between those things. And all I can do is do my best to put together a set of procedures that make you able to functionally and enjoyably tell stories together for this type of game. So what you do with it beyond that, it has nothing to do with me, right? It's not the author is dead. Like my intent is clear on the page, Mm. but it is done in such a way that I acknowledge I can only go so far, right? Even if you read the thing and you watch the video series and you listen to the podcast, you're going to have your impression of how it's done. It's still going to be different than how I would do it if I were running it, even if only like microscopically. Yeah, um, yeah, but, for but sure. that might that even microscopic difference is really important. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, it kind of feels almost like an outgrow of this uh idea i remember reading ages ago you know, about game design which was that um oh hang on it's slipped my brain give me a second don't design for bad actors was mm-hmm. uh an advice i remember reading ages ago which was really really helpful um because i think at that time there was like this sort of i remember thinking as a designer at the time and having this opinion that oh, I need to make sure people can't like use this game to do shit that I don't want it to do. Like, mm-hmm. so let's put in like a bunch of, um, a bunch of caveats and things like, don't do this with the game or like, don't do this. Don't play this. Don't do that. And stuff like that. And try to write that elegantly, but whatever. And the point of like, don't write for, don't design for bad actors is, like, there's no reason to put into an anti-fascist game, don't, like, a game about playing resistance fighters against, in Nazi World War II France. There's no point putting in there, like, you can't play Nazis, because mm-hmm. you are, you're, that is willfully ignoring the premise of the game. Like, someone that wants to play a Nazi in that game is someone that fundamentally doesn't want to play your game. Um, yep. There's a bit of advice. Yeah. There's a bit of like playtesting feedback related to this that a friend of mine, well, not a friend, an acquaintance, got for a game that they were making about playing <laughs> supervillains. Um, and they often got at the at the at the like open playtest that they did at like um, conventions and stuff. Um, 
oh, why do we have to play supervillains? It's like, because it's the premise of the goddamn game. Like, mm-hmm. why do we have to play supervillains? Because the game is about playing supervillains. Like, yeah, the, <laughs> that game is obviously not for you. And and I think there there is a little bit of room for doing work to keep bad actors away. Sure. Um, which which isn't like a mechanical constraint, but so Ionetta is Norse myth based, right? Yes, and as a person that Norse- used to do do Viking reenactment, uh, I fully uh, understand where we're going. Yes, Norse Norse myth is a hotbed of ridiculous, awful white supremacy, and so I'm doing everything I can with the premise of the game and the presentation of the game to say. Hey Nazi scum, this game is not for you, right? Yeah. That that consists of it being a very anti-capitalist, uh, pro-social, pro-community experience of taking down the gods that the uh, appropriationist people claim are on their side and blah blah blah. So that the basic premise is is automatically no, this is not this isn't your thing. The other things are um making sure that there's a statement in the game that just mm. very clearly says basically nazi scum screw off right this game is not to be used for any representations of white supremacy bigotry so on and so forth and then with a, the help of a a lot of help from a really good friend of mine i made a brand new set of runes so oh, wow. i i have my own runic alphabet that look and feel like the Elder Futhark, I have given them names and meanings so you can use them for divination purposes. And my friend who helped me with this is a practicing uh, pagan and sort of like amateur runic scholar. And so they're also all bind runes so you can actually use them in combination to create magic spells. And it's also just a font that I made in Adobe Illustrator and it's a character substitution so you can just type and the runes come up. Yeah, nice. Yeah, it's yeah. really cool. And it means that I can have things, markings that look and feel like they are Norse runes, but they carry none of the baggage that say yeah, someone seeing the, the rune of Othala would, yeah. be, would be like, oh, no, 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 you're a white supremacist. Go yeah, away exactly. or double Sawilo. Like, no, that's uh, that was what I was about to say. By by when you're talking about the baggage there, you're talking about the fact that like runes have been uh appropriated by white supremacists and neo-Nazis and actual Nazis too, um to uh for use as uh various insignia and and whatnot, like a lot of um a lot of World War II uh, Nazi unit commands and symbols and things were just like really old runes and stuff, and so you have a lot of mm-hmm. um, of that association, and you can't you can't just say, well, we're not using it in that way. And so I think that's like a really cool decision you've made there to be like, well, can't really separate some of the runes from their from their history, and rather than mm-hmm. be misconstrued we're gonna make new runes which yeah yeah well that and also so the original ironetta games right now they use the elder Futh arc mm-hmm. um because that's what, that's what you had. was around i i had no no conception of being able to do what i've done with a new runic alphabet so 
one, one, I'm going to be going back and revising the previous games to include my new runes and not the Elder Futh arc. Because while I think there is room for reclamation, and I yes. think there is there is room for for people saying, no, this is not the actual intent of the runes. We're not going to do this, and we're going to uh, strongly advocate in favor of not doing this. The game table, especially in... It's a little different now because there's a global pandemic, but still at a convention is not the space to do that work because if I'm writing a work of fiction, then I can include every single marker that I need to include to limit people's misinterpretations, to limit the appropriation and to limit the damage that might be done to uh, someone who say is Jewish and picks it up and sees runes on it. Right. At a convention, I can't control who sits down at your game table at Gen Con if you're mm-hmm. running an Ionetta game. So I can't control whether or not a white supremacist neo-Nazi, actual Nazi, sits down at your table and decides to do asinine stuff with the runes that are present in the game that I wrote. Yeah. So definitely. that's why I ended up heading in the direction of new runes because I didn't see space to safely do that at the gaming table. Yeah, I think that is a, a, an excellent point. It, uh, so I recently talked to another game designer who's doing a game about um, uh, sea shanties, um, particularly mm-hmm. set about 1800 sea shanties, I think it was. Um, but And they have like a specific call out in their, at the beginning of their book about how you need to be really conscious of where you are when you're d- singing these sea shanties um, because they didn't want to skip over what was because it's about preserving history of song and they didn't want to remove those uh, the some of the unsavory themes of the songs but they were like wanted to put a clear call out of like don't 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 be singing some of these songs at conventions and things do a different song for your adventure because each like adventure is based around a song uh i was like do it do a different one do a different one that isn't this um yeah that's that's really important to do (laughs) uh yeah fantastic fantastic so uh we're just about out of time um where can people find out more about uh ionetta reforged and your work as a game maker so in general, Twitter is the best place to find me. Uh, my handle on there is the other Tracy. That is pretty much where you can find me everywhere. So website, you know, uh, if you search for that on it, you're going to find me there. Um, that's when I when I give my closing credits on on one shot when I edit an episode. I say you can find me anywhere online at the other Tracy because that's pretty much true and and unavoidable. So you know, go ahead and follow me on Twitter. Uh, search for me on Patreon. Take a look at my games on Itch. Uh, if you search for Iron Edda Reforged, I have a feeling you'll get a Google result with the Kickstarter page. Depending on when this releases, the Kickstarter might be live. It's only running for 18 days, so uh, your window might be tight, but get in there. And uh, yeah, that's me yeah. and where you can find me. Fantastic. Uh, and it was a pleasure having you on the show. I can't wait for your Kickstarter to go live, and I hope that it uh, does amazingly successful. Thank you very much. I, I'm 
extremely excited for it. And I'm, I'm really glad that we got a chance to, to talk about all the stuff today. Yeah, indeed. Fantastic. Uh, if you enjoyed listening to this interview, you can check out other uh, interviews we have. We often interview people in the lead up to their Kickstarters uh, or we just uh, talk to them when they have new games out. You can find those by clicking on the interview tab uh, or the interview tag or going to the interview playlist, depending on which platform you're on. Uh, other than that, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, it's been a pleasure to be here. Uh, farewell from the past. I'm Ray. <laughs>